Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Else, 
the last uh, baseball game the Mets play, would play uh, for the foreseeable future. So I got lucky in that respect. Uh, and then for a couple of days I was in Disney World. Um, so I, the juxtaposition from being in like fantasy land and then seeing and looking at your phone and seeing the world kind of <laughs> almost in a way self-destruct was very eerie. Uh, so um, yeah, uh, I, I, not much more to say about it. Uh, I'm a little bit in denial. Uh, you know, I said when opening day rolls around, I'll really, it'll really start to hit me. Uh, but uh, happy to talk a little bit about uh, the Mets of the past and, and also the present. Well, by all means, take a few more moments. Tell us more about yourself. Uh, you know, tell us what you've done in the past. I know you've uh, written other books previous to this one uh and uh think more about your fandom sure yeah so uh uh, i have written so this is my second book the mets new york mets all-time all-stars uh also uh wrote another book called mets in tens which is a uh which came out uh, about two years ago and it's a series of top 10 lists uh ranging from best pitching performances to worst trades to best postseason games there are about 30 of those lists uh, have also uh, contributed to a Sabre uh, book called Metrospectives, which chronicles the best games in Mets history, and have also contributed to other uh, Sabre-related books that have nothing to do with the Mets. Um, this year, I'll probably be, I will be definitely be contributing to uh, Metsmerized online as a historical contributor. Um, so looking forward to doing that. Uh, my fandom really began with thanks to my dad. Uh, he has been a Mets fan since since day one of the franchise in 62. And I kind of took that uh, baton and, and really ran with it um, from my going to my first game when I was five years old in 1992 up until this point. Um, and yeah, I living in Washington, DC, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, far away from Mets land, but at the same time, I, I still have uh, a, a strong connection to them and we'll go, you know, whenever they're here in, in uh, against the nationals or I'll either make the trip uh, up to New York for a game or even closer to like Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. So um, yeah, living, growing up in Washington, DC or in the Northern or the DC area has never ne- has done nothing to uh, tamper my, my love of the mess. Before we dive into this book, uh, you know, Rich, Last week we left off wondering what impact coronavirus would have on baseball and sports world in general. And now we know uh, coronavirus, what could go wrong, essentially has. Uh, And this has become a very, very fluid situation. Richard, pick it up from there. Yeah, you know, uh, like we were talking about just before we went on, last week – we said, geez, you know, spring training games are going on, and, and players have been asked not to, you know, share pens with fans and not to take balls to sign. And do we really think this is going to have an impact on um, on the season? Well, let's think about what's happened in seven short days. The NBA suspends, and a couple of players test positive. Uh, NHL suspends. Major League Baseball suspends. Things, and I just saw, guys, in the last – I'm just flipping through some information – in the past minute, the CDC has recommended that all events nationwide with 50 or more people be postponed for two months. And um, so that's where it's come to. It's gone from, you know, spring training in full swing, you know, let's not share pens, to no sports. And if you follow this that I just talked about, if baseball could get back in some kind of a 
spring training, literal spring training, in the middle of May, we won't see baseball that counts until June. That's where this has gone in a week. It, it, it's staggering. It really is. Uh, Mayor de Blasio has ordered New York City schools shut down effective Monday. Uh, they may revisit it uh, perhaps April 20th, they say. Sam, uh, coronavirus is here and running wild. It's, it's just crazy. I, I, I don't know exactly uh, how to go about it because I'm rather, I think, for positive or negative, very cocky about my immune system. And and so, you know, it, it just and even like from an, from a, a paramedic the other day that I, uh, you know, who deals with this all the time that I that I uh, took in in a lift car, um, he told me, you know, it's it's just like any other day. You're supposed to drink water. You're supposed to wash your hands. Every day we're exposed to potential deadly viruses, but this one, and you know. The problem is, is it's just spreading really, really quickly, and and that's why you know the the biggest thing that's going on right now has has to do with shutting down uh, the you know big crowds. So that's why all these major major sports are shutting everything down. Somebody was even telling me that there was a game at the Barclays Center today. Is that true, uh, Mike? Uh, you know what? That that I don't know. Let me just say that I don't I, know. I have to check that. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not exactly sure if that, if that could be the case, but um, it, it sounded weird. But he said that there was a college, uh, a game out in the Barclays Center, and um, one of my passengers, and you know, he was wearing a NBA Finals 1999 Knicks hat. Uh, so you know, he was certainly into sports. So I'm gonna have to look into that. But it's just, it, it, it's just absolutely insane. Uh, but like I I I I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to say that there. You know, the the idea is to blow it out of proportion so it can you can contain it. I I understand that element, and I think that everybody's obviously trying to take a book uh, a page out of uh, China's book right now because they seem to have gotten it under control uh, in some fashion. Um, so I'm not exactly sure now that the new cases in China are, are underway, whether that means you immediately stop quarantines. Probably not. That's, uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert of all of this stuff, and I'm not reading up on it too much other than just going back and forth on Twitter about it, basically. So, you know, I, I, I it's just, it's surreal. Um, everybody, you know, I'm, I'm trying to gauge it as a Lyft driver and somebody who wants to stay independent. Uh, whether and, and, and here's where I'm thinking I need to cross over into the city this week, uh, Postmates style, because it sounds like deliveries are going to boom. So, but at the same time, like I, I, I keep thinking that lift rides are going to go down, but maybe there's not as many drivers out there. So that means that the you know I'm I'm still thinking in economic terms. I can't stop earning right now, and unfortunately. You know, and I was just talking about it in the bar a second ago. Um, I don't exactly want to get political about it, but, you know, the way people have to deal with making sure the money's coming in and, you know, you're, you're bailing out yet again, you know, there's one point trillion going. I, I, I forget exactly. You know, I, I'm pretty sure it just had to do with the stock market. Uh, and, and here we are. As, as you know, talk, constantly talking about the working class, whether it's Democrat or Republican, you're not going to be sending money to you, you know. At some like basically the way the 
the people's, you know, how aware people are of everything that's actually going on now, I just wonder whether they can actually get away with it without also bailing out the people that are going to have to stay home because schools are closing. The people that are that have to figure out how to how to get some coverage for their ch- their children because they don't have a type of job that that they can telecommute or whatever the term is. That first time I'm hearing the word telecommute, but I get it. But it's just I, I hadn't heard that phrase from a corporate or working standpoint until this came around, or at least it wasn't something that was clearly uh, visible in my brain. So you know it. it, it like, this is the thing that makes it look like the beginning of the end in many ways. You know, that it doesn't just happen like in the movies with an apocalypse, just, just the, 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 the rapture just happening right away and bringing everybody up. It's a slow burn. And you wonder, like, this is, this is where, you know, society gets tested right now. This is, this is, weirdly enough, even if it's just the last three months, this is a major moment in in, in human existence, even if it might be overblown, it's like, how do we go about handling this? Like, if, if this is how people handle it with panicking, you know, like, like luckily, you know, I'm not looking out here and it, it doesn't look like escape from New York as I, as I stand in between 45th and 46th Street on 8th Avenue. It doesn't yet look like escape from New York, but you think about, like, all these healthy people panicking and going to the grocery store and their lines out, you know, for an hour outside Costco, it just, something's strange. It's a very surreal moment. <laughs> Pestilence riding in on a pale horse. Uh, Brian, you know, there's a problem here. We don't know how many people are actually infected or carrying it because the masses just haven't been tested yet. Uh, is history, does history provide us any answers in this and your general observations? I mean, in terms of the, uh, in terms of sports, the world of sports, it's, you know, the only comparisons you can really make to, uh, you know, long stoppages are only, uh, you know, stop, you know, American sports are only stoppages that occurred because of players and owners causing the stoppage. You know, when you talk about the strike years of, of 81 and, and 1994, um, I mean, this, you know, to have it where something of uh, this nature causes uh, not just one league to stop playing, but the entire sports community to stop playing is just unprecedented. And, uh, you know, I can't speak on behalf, I can't speak uh, as regard, in terms of, like, the medical uh, the ramifications or financial ramifications. I'm not that smart uh, and, and don't want to do that. But uh, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm just like a, a sports fan just, about to have withdrawals, and I'm sure everyone's kind of in the same boat. Um, just what do you do, and, 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 you know, how do you handle it? I mean, I'm, I'm looking to, like, YouTube, <laughs> looking for old – I mean, I usually – I do that normally, but this is – I'm now kind of, you know, taking that up a notch and uh, trying to find what, you know, old – you know, whether it's Mets games or any regular game, uh, just to kind of, you know, quench my, my thirst for, for sports because for the next at least eight weeks, uh, that will uh, – it won't be available live. Oh, stay tuned for information as it comes out, folks. Uh, be resilient, you know, uh, understand and undertake precautions and, and, and directive. So that said, let's get this quarantine party started. Uh, Brian, you know, 
your book, this kind of work really tugs at one's heartstrings when dealing with emotions and different players representing the entire saga of Mets baseball. Uh, you know, I said earlier, maybe perhaps before the show, sometimes fan, fans' objectivity take the back seat. You nailed it. Uh, you took me on a trip as someone who read the book this week uh, through various and many joyous moments in time uh, and a great job punctuating many of these plays with the most, with the most perfect epithet. Well, yeah, thank you very much, Mike. Um, yeah, I, it was uh, difficult to, to choose. It was a 30-man roster, uh, and on top of that, I chose a manager, two coaches. Um, the coaches are the honorable mention managers. I also chose a GM and an owner. Uh, and you're right, it, it, there are different criteria you can use to select a team. There's no perfect way to do it. Uh, you can do it based on, you know, your own feelings of, you know, I love this play, uh, these particular players. Uh, or you can do it, you know, strictly based on statistics. Uh, for me, the selection uh, for the team was based on numerous factors, including impact on the franchise, uh, a mixture of traditional stats and sabermetric stats, you know, sabermetric stats, especially when considering, uh, like, you know, to, to highlight someone's defensive capabilities. Uh, also took a look at postseason and big game performances. Uh, do they have single season or career records? Um, longevity was not as much of a factor as being good or high impact for a prolonged period of time. I kind of looked at and said, hey, would I, that person at their peak with the Mets, um, would I want them on a, on a all-time team? Um, and that was certainly a, a, certainly a factor. Obviously, you had to have some kind of sustained greatness with the Mets, but um, I didn't look at someone who was, like, there for a while and maybe only had a couple good years. Um, I used a little creativity with how I structured uh, certain positions and who I put there. Uh, for instance, uh, pitchers, uh, uh, as many Mets fans know, there are proportionally more great starting pitchers than relief pitchers. So I chose 10 pitchers, and I, and I chose seven starting pitchers um, as opposed to like a four- or five-man rotation. Um, I also made sure not to have a DH because that could lead to a bunch of, you know, scenarios that I didn't want to get into. Um, I also um, looked at players, like I looked at, I made sure to judge a player or because I was kind of uh, uh, asked to kind of to put these players by position, I made sure that if a player was going to go to a certain position, it was going to be at a position that they played the longest. For instance, like an Edgardo Alfonso, you know, spent some time at third base, a little at shortstop but mostly was a second baseman. So he was going to be judged as a second baseman. Um, and someone like a Michael Conforto, uh, who has played more games in left field, uh, I judged him as a left fielder as opposed to where he is right now in right field. Um, so, yeah, I, what I, as I, going back to what I said before, what I discovered was that there are many ways to structure a team like this. You can use all different bits of criteria. And that, to me, is the beauty of a book like this. Um, it's kind of evolving as time goes along. And to me, it's more of a discussion point and a starting point for a debate as opposed to a final say. So, Rich and Sam, we have seven starting pitchers to start with. I'll name them. Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, Dwight Gooden, Jacob DeGrom, Ron Darling, John Matlock, and Al Leiter. In no particular order, those 
are the seven all-time starters. Brian makes honorable mention of Sid Fernandez. Uh, your reaction, Rich? Well, you know, in looking at all the lists, you know, obviously I, I saw some names on there. You're right. It, it could be based in fact, but it inspires emotion. And, um, you know, I'll take my my thoughts you know, as we go position by position. I think Brian did a great job here. You know, it's hard to factually argue this. A lot of, again, what I'll say is more based on, on just how I react to those players. So one thought, Brian, I would have for you would be, you know, Ron Darling had a couple of good years as a Met. He really did. You know, 84, 85, and, and toward the late 88 as well. And, and then he, he kind of tailed off a bit. You know, he, as he got to the late 80s and certainly by the early 90s and he was traded, so the the comparison between both David Cohn and Sid Fernandez against Ron Darling, I think either of those, you know, I'm not really arguing if you're Ron Darling choice. I'm wondering how you got to Darling instead of Fernandez or Cohn, because in my mind, both of those guys could give Darling a run for his money. No, I agree. I think uh, Ron Darling, as much as I, I, I love him as a broadcaster, I think his him, his being a broadcaster has kind of elevated his status in Mets history. Uh, and you might say he's slightly overrated because of that. I wouldn't say he's totally overrated. I think he's uh, valid as far as an, an all-time Mets all-star. Of course, the, the fact that I put him on the team. Um, it, it, was a, it was a very close call uh, between him and, your, and you named the three guys that, that I kind of really tangled with in addition to Al Leiter. Um, yeah, you know, Darling. I think you know, even though he had a couple a couple of tough uh, postseason performances, namely those two Game Sevens, the World Series in '86, and then uh, the NLCS in '88, um, did have some good postseason performance. Did have some good uh, World Series performances uh, in Games One and Four of '86 uh, in shutting down the Red Sox. Although he got the tough luck loss in Game One. Uh, and was really a solid number two uh, behind Dwight Gooden, you know, for the eight, you know eighty five through let's say eighty seven or eighty eight. Even though Cohen came uh, really uh, got to be a, a, almost an ace in eighty eight. Uh, so, you know, I, I I did allude that longevity was not a major factor, but I did look at the fact that Darling had ninety nine wins as a Met, which is fourth all time, uh, when wins mattered a little bit more, and that really kind of that factored into it. Um, David Cohn, I figured, did not have uh, enough time as Ron Darling, and then Sid Fernandez. While I, you know, thought he at times was dominant, uh, I don't think he was uh, a guy who could last into the late innings. And I made sure to make this team based on how they did in the eras they performed. I think if you chose Sid Fernandez for a team right now, he'd be like a, he'd be an ace because pitchers aren't required to go more than six or seven innings. Um, but in that time, a lot of times he would have be dominant for six or seven innings and then wouldn't be able to finish games. So um, it was a tough call. I mean, and, and Darling got the slight edge based on uh, a couple of uh, big game performances he had, uh, the 99 wins, um, also that he was just kind of – he was kind of the, 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 the number two to Dwight for several years. And I, I think that's yeah. a very fair explanation, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Sam, we have seven starting pitchers. How do you feel about them? Would you uh, insert Mike, them? Mike, for, for, first of all, I just, ha- I just have to say I uh, discovered going to another bar uh, that 
the Bartolo game is on. So honorable mention, even though he will not be listed here, to Bartolo uh, for for his home run and his, you know making that middle of last decade, uh, you know his role in making that middle of uh, last decade so memorable. Um, uh, could you, Mike? because it was just a few minutes ago, repeat the entire list again. I know uh, there were some names, and I want to make sure that when, when talking about this entire thing that I, I uh, you know, try to have the debate proper. There you go. All right, so we started. Yeah, no, go ahead. It's, it's good. It's good. They passed. John Malak, Ron Darling, Jacob DeGrom, Dwight Gooden, Jerry Kuzman, and, of course, Tom Seaver. Honorable mention to Sid Fernandez and David Cohn. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that that's a, it's pretty sound. I mean, you know, Jerry Kuzman's going to have his number retired this year. Um David Cohn being honorable mention, I have a, a, a special place for David Cohn in my, my Mets history. Uh, you know, I, I, and he's just one of those players that you wish had been there longer, especially considering that he ended up, uh, oh, I don't know, with a perfect game with the Yankees and the Mets have never had one for one. You know, he, he's one of those, those types of guys that I really appreciate for Mets history, and, and I'm, I'm happy that he has a part of it. Um, and, you know, Sid Fernandez, I, I understand why he didn't make the cut as well. Um, all those names you can't really argue with with too much, uh, you know. It, and I, I just – I really appreciate that we're watching – we're in the middle of one of those names. We're in the middle of a stretch of one of the greatest players, one of the greatest pitchers to ever be witnessed by Mets fans. And it's it, it's something that you 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 realize, especially with the the type of of history that the Mets have with pitching. When it's happening, you realize you need to take it in, because and and going to like the like the year my dad died, the only Mets game I made in City Field was that last game where Jacob Degrom solidified his Cy Young performance against the Braves. And, you know, just thinking about that, like, I, I'm, I'm getting chills as I, I stand here because it was a moment, even if it was in a, a year that unfortunately fell apart, Jacob deGrom gave us something that, you know, probably won't be duplicated. I mean, one, I think it was like a 169 ERA, 170 ERA. The entire year, that's Bob Gibson numbers, man. It doesn't matter what, whatever spin you want to have. And that's why it's just silly to talk about Garrett Cole when trying to talk about who the best pitcher in New York is, let alone the best pitcher in the league. That's what's going on right now, and we're a part of it. <laughs> Let's go, Mets. So, Brian, <clears throat> excuse me. I love the John Matlock narrative, and uh, about Gooden, I think he nailed it when you said he brought the electricity back to Shea Stadium. So, on behalf of all the R.A. Dickey, Craig Swan, Nolan Ryan, Frank Viola, Bob Ojeda, Matt Harvey, Bobby Jones fans, 
you get final word on your starting seven. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, with all respect to those other players, I mean, Bobby Jones obviously had some good games and had a great game in the, the 2000 NLDS against the Giants, R.A. Dickey Cy Young Award, uh, Craig Swan had some good years when the Mets were terrible. Um, I am very happy with my with my starting seven and like the fact that I had those two honorable mentions and have no issue with people having arguments of putting uh, Fernandez or Cohn on there because it was very close and it's almost unfortunate that you had to divide it up by position because if you were to name the 30 best players in Mets history, Cohn and Fernandez would probably be on there. I think they'd definitely be on there. So that's the, the kind of the uh, uniqueness of a book like this is sometimes some positions you have players in there that maybe aren't the 30 best in Mets history, and yet you have positions like pitching, which the Mets, as uh, Sam alluded to, have they've had a, a great abundance of great pitchers. Um, where they have, there's just almost not enough room. So um, the seven I have, I feel good about. I think John Matlick is is an underrated pitcher. I also think Fernandez is, but I think Matlack more so because he was kind of the third in line behind Seaver and Kuzman. Uh, and then I, you know, I think uh, someone like Al Leiter gets a little bit um, forgotten because he pitched during the, you know, the steroid era. So uh, made sure to to judge everyone fairly and tried to pick the best seven I could. Um, and it's uh, looking at those seven, you realize just how lucky the Mets or how great the Mets have been in regards to starting pitching because it's it's really really impressive and almost, you know, it's funny. There's another book on the Yankees um, just like this. And I'd put the Mets starting pitchers up with the Yankees starting pitchers any day. Very quickly, as sure as you can, Tom Seaver, 1973 World Series. Was Yogi Berra right or wrong to start Stone over Seaver? I originally, you know, a while ago, probably because I was too naive, I thought that uh, he was right to start um uh, Stone, George Stone, instead of, or I mean, was right to start Seaver instead of Stone, but I now think differently. Um, I think that maybe he should have held Seaver back uh, for potential game seven, uh, even though John Matlick was probably the best pitcher down the stretch. Um, George Stone, I think, was 12 and 3 during the regular season uh, in his first year in that trade with the Braves, um, and probably should have gone with that. And I think, you know, and Seaver had been nursing a sore shoulder uh, toward the end of the year. And, and and in that time, you know, sore shoulders were kind of just like, okay, you know, hey, you can still pitch. In today's world, he would have probably never pitched in the World Series. So um, it's it was a different time. It's a different time, and probably it was the wrong decision. But uh, it you can't fault Yogi Berra that much. I mean, Tom Seaver is is his number one, and I don't I don't think you could fault him for going with his best to try to close it out in a game six. So Sam, we have three relief. Specialists: Tug McGraw, John Franco, and Jesse Orozco. Honorable mention. Honorable mention going to Armando Benitez and Roger McDowell. The relievers. What say you? I think that's sound. You can't deny what Armando Benitez did for from a numbers perspective. Um, but you can never look at that name and not go. Ugh just because of, of the big game history. You know, uh, you don't – what was it, Paul O'Neill? You don't walk Paul O'Neill 
they'd probably win that game. And that that's that's a big moment, especially like in this town. So I, I have nothing to say outside of that in terms of the other names. Um, it's just that like, Regardless of the fact that you can, uh, you know, put him in there, honorable mention, because of what he did, it's just Armando Benitez will always uh, invoke uh, bad memories. Rich? Well, you know, as I look at that list, I I agree. I mean, Armando Benitez had a pretty good body of work. You know, it obviously all came apart the teams in the end, and and we'll never forget the 2000 World Series Game 1. But I do think he he was, if you look at his entire body of work, he belongs there. Um, I certainly believe Jesse Orozco belongs there on Tug. Um, I had an issue with with Franco. I, I say issue in quotes. You know, I was never a big. This is the emotion part I was talking about earlier. Um, I was never a big John Franco fan. I thought he had a lot of longevity awards. Um, I didn't think he was all that effective as a Met. You know, outside of a couple of good years, I think he really tailed off. You know, obviously lost his closer job. So, and I get it. You know, you can look at Franco in one of two different ways. You can look at him as a guy who, you know, he, he set the record at the time for most, most saves by a lefty. Um, and you could certainly look at all those things, and some would say that's great. Others would say those are longevity awards. And maybe you could also say that, Mike, like you always say, the greatest ability is durability, and he was very durable over, over his career. I just, I know he's retired, he's in the Mets Hall of Fame and all that. I just was never the biggest fan. I, I, I just wasn't. And so, but again, that's the emotional side coming out, and that's what this is all about. I mean, I, I get why Brian put him there. It just, it evoked that emotion in me. But I have, um, you know, McDowell, okay, I, I would only ask about some of the current Mets. You know, like a guy like McDowell was a Met for, let's see how long, probably from, correct me if I'm wrong, like 84 through 89, something like that. Um, and, you know, you've got guys like, like a Seth Lugo, who's been great in a relief role over the past three or four years. You know, Brian, you were saying that number of years wasn't really a factor. Um, so I'm wondering if you gave some consideration to a guy like that, you know, like a Seth Lugo, who's been, uh, who's had some excellent years as a reliever. So, Brian, um, yeah, that yeah. said, I'm sorry, that said, on behalf of the Ron Taylor, Billy Wagner, Skip Lockwood, Turk Wendell fans out there, your relievers and your decisions, let's say you. Yeah, so um, as far as Seth Lugo is concerned, yeah, I did. I, I gave a little bit of consideration uh, to him, but I would uh, probably not put him ahead of uh, even like a Roger McDowell. And McDowell, I think, was 85 to like June of 89 when that trade with the, that infamous trade with the Phillies went down. Um, Franco, yeah, and, uh, you know, I he, you know, caused some uh, panic attacks for me too when I was a kid watching him try to close out games. So uh, I feel that, that <laughs> those similar emotions. Um, but I think he saves, you know, and, and say what you will about saves if you think that they're not an important stat. Um, they, you know, I think they're still relatively important. And he saved a lot of games and led the league in saves, even when the Mets were not particularly great. Uh, like in 94, strike short and year, he saved the most um, in the National League, and, and that was a terrible Mets team. So, uh, and the only reason he really lost his closer role is because he got hurt. Um, and Armando Benitez was, was pretty dominant in the regular season. So, um, you know, I, 
I think, yeah, I mean, you could say longevity, you know, has the most saves in Mets history and the most saves by a lefty. Um, that's, you know, those were, those were small factors. Uh, I thought that for a good chunk of time uh, as a closer from 90 to, you know, you could say 90 to 98, I mean, he was, when he was healthy, he was saving at least 30 games a year uh, and was doing so with, the, you know, an ERA under, under three. So uh, I looked at that and, and, couldn't resist putting him on the team, um, you know, over someone like Roger McDowell, who had really good years and, and, and ate up a lot of innings and won even won a lot of games in relief, especially in 86. Um, and as, as both of you and Sam have pointed out, uh, Benitez had some good regular season numbers. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the big games are just what, what destroyed him. Um, and as much as postseason and big game performances can elevate you onto a team, they can also take you off of a team. And that was the case for, for Benitez. So uh, as far as the three relievers I put on there, uh, personally, I, I, the only one I would have flip-flopped if you had given me, you know, maybe more time to think about it or, um, you know, the only, the only two that I ever thought about flipping were Franco and McDowell. That said, let us slide behind the plate. Fairly straightforward. Mike Piazza is the starter. Reserve, Gary Carter. Reserve, Jerry Grody. Rich. I, I have no objections, Your Honor. I, I think that um, that's well done. Um, I, I give you a lot of credit, Brian, Brian, for seeing the value of Jerry Grody. Um, he's more from Mike and my era. Um but, you know, and Hunley, you know, a lot of people met, you know, are drawn to Hunley because of his, his home runs, if we're on home runs and all that. But um, but I do think you, you're you showing an appreciation for the totality of the catching position. You know, Grody um, was clearly one of the best defensive catchers uh, maybe ever in the game. You know, everybody points to the Johnny Bench quote, you know, that if, if Jerry Grody was a Cincinnati Red, I'd be playing third base. So, um you know, I give you a lot of credit there, and I do think Piazza, you know, everybody loves Gary Carter. You know, just the other day I saw something on Facebook, you know, the bottom of the 10th of uh, Game 6 of the World Series, how Carter got it started. Um, everybody, you know, the emotional stuff around Carter, but Piazza is the superior player, and again, I, I give you a lot of credit for seeing the value of a Jerry Grody and not simply being drawn into the offensive statistics of a Todd Hundley. So well done. I'm in lockstep with Rich with regards to Jerry Grody. Sam, the honorable mentions with John Stearns and Todd Hunley. The dude! See, that's that's what's like why uh, Lucas Duda could only be the Duda uh, because the Mets had already had a dude. John Stearns is one of the reasons why it is my favorite Mets jersey of all time, the 1978 Snow White Pinstripe Pullover that I think the Mets need to realize us as Mets fans will not just buy um, the World Series champion stuff, but we will also buy the bad years. Like, like, like it's just, if you want to make money, just do it. Just, just unlock that jersey for me, please. I want to be able to buy it. Anyway, um, the, you know, you, you can't leave a World Series champion off of that list. And it's not just 1969. Everything that you've ever heard from somebody like Tom Seaver and most of, like the fact that the Mets have been pitching rich 
you need to have a great backstop. And whether it's 1969, whether it's 1973, Jerry Grody was a major part of those teams, and you have to include him on that list. You cannot put him in honorable mention, regardless of his offensive numbers. Um, I want to throw Mackie Sasser out there because that's the greatest catcher name of all time. Uh, when I discovered that baseball card, I forget exactly whether it was part of a random collection I had or whether I just came across it. But when I was like, the Mets had a player named Mackie Sasser. Like, like, I'm, I'm, it's just, it's great. It's great. I love baseball names. I love when a name just, just pushes itself out there from a baseball perspective. Mackie Sasser, you can't get any better than that. You see, John Stearns is my favorite catcher out of all these, him and Jerry, Jerry Grody. But the fact of the matter is, Piazza is the greatest offensive catcher in history, and Gary Carter is certainly most... And let's, most let's, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, Mike, but let's not... You know, uh, Mike Piazza got a lot of flack for his defensive skills, but he, he might have not been the greatest thrower. He, he might have not been the greatest overall defensive catcher. But I, I remember many times watching him block that plate, and I think he's a little underrated from a defensive standpoint. Well, Brian, you've heard from the peanut gallery. On behalf of the Mike Fitzgerald, J.C. Martin, Duffy Dyer, Ron Hodges, and Paul Duca fans out there, your observations on the Mets' top three catchers. Yeah, I know. I wanted to make sure to put, uh, obviously, Piazza and Carter, but, but, but definitely Jerry Grody because, uh, as both of you alluded to, or all of you alluded to, um, the importance during that era, you know, late 60s, you know, through the mid-70s, let's say, uh, the importance of, as Gil Hodges, I think, had said, you know, strength up the middle when you talk about, whoever's on the mound, which, which were, you know, was Seaver and uh, Kuzman and later Matlack uh, defensively at shortstop, someone like, you know, a Bud Harrelson and someone in center field, like a Tommy Agee, but you also needed that catcher and Jerry Grody uh, helped mature the pitching staff uh, in the late sixties and brought them to that championship level. So I would have felt wrong if not by not putting him on the team. And that was an instance in where I wanted to highlight his, not only the way he helped that pitching staff, but the way he played defensively. Because if you look at just his offensive numbers, it doesn't doesn't stand out. And in fact, John, someone like John Stearns, his 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 WAR and WAR was not my not always my determining factor for things. In other cases, it was. Um, John Stearns is a little bit better, uh, I believe, than Grody's. Um, but nonetheless, Grody was so important to the '69 team, and and then also in '73 that I couldn't resist uh, putting him on there. And I wanted to make sure to put an extra catcher on the team for just that reason. But, um, you know, Hunley has the most home runs uh, in the nineties, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. Um, And Stearns is also very good, made several all-star teams uh, as a Met. Um, But it was pretty, pretty easy for me to, to put those three on the list. First base is a great topic of conversation. Uh, Keith Hernandez is obviously the starter. You selected John Olerud as the reserve. Uh, Rich, the honorable mentions at first base are Carlos Delgado, Ed Greenpool, Alonzo. What say you? Well, I agree that Pete needs to be an honorable mention. You know, obviously, let's not lose sight of the fact that it was one season. But, you know, great season as it was, but I, I think that's very well done. 
You know, th- this is another emotional thing. Um, I-, I have to push back on Ed Cranepool being, in, being an honorable mention, and I'll tell you why. Um, I, I know that it's blasphemous for a Mets fan, especially a Mets fan who became a fan in the early 70s like myself. I- I've never been an Ed Cranepool fan. I-, I just, you know, I get it. I get the loyalty thing, and I get the fact that he was an original Met. I, yeah, I-, I understand all that. I lived through that. But when you look at the end of the day, his career batting average is 261. He had 118 home runs over an 18-year career, a one-time All-Star. You know, he, he, he's a favorite, but he wasn't a good player. We have to get that out of our minds that he was, because he really wasn't. At the end of the day, he, he was an, at best an average player, and I think that's even generous. That, that's my opinion, and I've always felt that way. I'm nothing against the guy at all. I'm nothing against him. But I think people romanticize his career in retrospect, but it really wasn't that good. It was long. It wasn't that good. And, you know, he had a career war of, I was just looking at it a moment ago, his career war is pretty low. And I know you were saying, Brian, that, um, you know, that you didn't look at war too much, but he was a 4.3. And I'd like to introduce somebody from uh, my and uh, my and Mike's era, John Milner. You know, I know Mike, uh, John, Mike, I know you were going to probably mention John Milner. I'm a huge John Milner fan. Um, Cranepool had 118 home runs in 18 seasons as a Met, while Milner had 94 over just seven seasons. So Milner also was on, he was instrumental on the 73 team. Um, he is a career, of course, not all as a Met, a career 12.5 war. Um, so when I look at it, you know, he was a starter on a team that went to the World Series. He had a much greater impact, albeit over a short period of shorter period of time, only seven years. Um, so that would be my only gentle nudge to you on first base. Otherwise, I'm a huge John Olerud fan. He's one of my favorite Mets of all time, so I have no concern with any of that. It's just I'm wondering why Crane Pool, why not Milner? All right, and we're going to go to Sam. What do you think of this? I love John Olerud. It, it, it still is sad that he wasn't on the 2000 team. Um, also want to throw out the fact that he just lost a kid. Um, and, and, you know, I believe it was because of a, um, you know, I, I, I have to look this up now, but I don't know what condition it was. But, you know, whatever awareness needs to be brought, uh, you know, in all of this right now, we just have to make sure that, that we, are, we bring it. Um, because it, it's, it, that's, he must still, with all of everything going on where there's the bigger picture, right now John Olrood is mourning, and we need to, to point that out. Um, I, I, I have to, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, Rich, you were talking about John Milner, right? Because I was in and out of the conversation. Yes, I yes, was. And, and he is not included in the list. That is correct. So I love, you know, John Milner, I, I for, you know, when I'm looking at baseball, when I'm looking at the Mets history, I used to do like these, you know, this day in Mets history, and I would recap a, a, um, a certain game. John Milner's na- name would always come up in those games. Um, so I, I get where the, the factor who grew up with 1973 is coming from with John Milner. Um, you know, I, 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 Mike, you, you mentioned something, and I know you, I'm, I'm kind of prefacing this, 
uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of you, but with Carlos Delgado, you know, it is, it, it, it is frustrating that Carlos Delgado and again, you know, we brought him up at the beginning of it when you mentioned COO, but Jeff Wilpon has had his hand in injuries over the course of, of the years he's been in charge. And according to certain articles, uh, the way they go about rehabbing uh, leads the Mets to have worse injuries overall, or recovery at least. Prevention and recovery. Remember when they put that in the, in the clubhouse? Prevention and recovery. No self-awareness as to how you're going about recovering these guys. So Carlos Delgado should be on the Hall of Fame. Carlos Delgado should have 500 home runs. And Carlos Delgado should have 500 home runs as a Met. So it's it's sad because I loved watching Carlos Delgado play. It was so amazing that he came here, and it wasn't one of those free, those, those trades or free agent signings where the star player finally coming to the Mets completely collapses. He didn't do any of that under the light. And mind you, there, there was a little controversy when it comes to some of the, the, the chatter underneath, if you will, from the Carlos Delgado perspective. Um, but at the same time, you can't deny what he did as a Met. And um, so, yeah, you know, just want to throw, throw that out there about Carlos Delgado in first base. Ryan? On behalf of the John Milner, Don Clendenin, Willie Montanez, Ike Davis, Eddie Murray, and Luca Duda fans out there in the world, uh, what say you, sir? Yeah, well, I'll address um, – Rich's point is, is great as far as why uh, Ed Crimple is not on the team uh, because I think as much as – I and I've met Ed Crimple. He's a very nice guy, and I, I have tremendous respect for him and wish him the best health. Uh, but he was a compiler. Um, the main reason I put him on the honorable mention uh, was just for the fact that kind of to, uh, you know, to just kind of point him out as far as like the older fans who might be, you know, from the original era uh, who have a special place uh, in their hearts for Ed Cranepool. Um It was really a, a, a lot. There are a lot of people you could put on the honorable mention. I uh, just didn't really have enough room. Uh, guys like John Milner, who, you know, you can definitely consider, uh, and also like a Don Clendenin, the winner of the 69 MV, and a World Series MVP. Uh, so there's a lot of different people you could put on there um, on the list. I, I wanted to mention Pete Alonzo just, just to kind of, you know, modernize and put, you know, the most recent first baseman, considering what what such what an amazing season he had, uh, wanted to recognize that. So the honorable mention there were kind of kind of to kind of highlight players from different eras, uh, and certainly Milner could have been one of them, and, and certainly Clendenin could also have been one of them. But I felt pretty comfortable, especially with, with Keith Hernandez being the starter and Allroot, who despite only playing three years, uh, and I want to say that even though War was not an end all be all, uh, sometimes it did factor into my decisions and John Ord's war for his three seasons as a Met was, uh, was 17.3, which is over, which over three seasons is really, really good. And he has the best um, single season batting average, best single season on base percentage, 
best career on uh, batting average and best career on base percentage. So, um, and a lot of times when I look at these players, I say, you know, and I hate to try to compare players from different eras, but sometimes they say, hey, would I rather have John Allrood or this guy? Almost every time it was, I'd rather have John Allrood. But it's um, interesting about Carlos Delgado. If he were to get, you know, if he were to surpass 500 home runs and go even higher as a Met, how would that change things? And, and, and perhaps he'd get more consideration. Well, actually, I know he'd get more consideration for the team, uh, but more than likely it would probably been John Olrude still going into first base. But it's an, it's an interesting uh, scenario to, to, to think about. And, uh, Mike, before you, before you chime in, I just want to say you can't have a season like Tito Alonso had and not include him. So I agree with the Tito Alonso side. Well said. Uh, you're listening to a Metsian podcast. Our guest this evening is Brian Wright, author of the New York Mets All-Time All-Stars, the best players at each position for the Amazons. Sam, at second base, the starter is Edgardo Afonso, and the reserves are Daniel Murphy, one of your favorites, and Wally Backman. Honorable mentions to Ron Hunt, the Mets' first-ever All-Star, and Felix Mion, a childhood favorite of mine. Greatest mustache of all time, Felix Mion. Would you say? Would you say that? Uh, one of one of my childhood favorites. <laughs> so so, Edgardo like somebody heard me say that. Somebody heard me say that and knew exactly what I was talking about when I mentioned Felix Milan. Um, just, <laughs> just, I love New York and I love Mets baseball. No, well, I think he was he on the Padres, Mike. Who, Mion? Yeah. See, we, we acquired him from the Atlanta Braves. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Paul. No, 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 no. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so a gentleman in uh, uh, camouflage jeans and uh, um, a goatee uh, just was wondering whether Felix Milan was on the, the Padres. Um, but you said we acquired him from the Atlanta Braves. Was he on the Padres after the Mets? I don't know. Tell them to email the show and we'll get back to them. <laughs> worked. So you and I were talking about this earlier, Mike, that, that you, it's, it's remarkable what an impact Edgardo Alfonso had uh, on his short time with the Mets. And I, I agree with the tech of Edgardo Alfonso with that base. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because I know there was a whole thing where he, he got shifted over to second base, correct? Uh, he played numerous positions, yes. He wound up there. He played numerous, he, he played numerous positions and wound up there. So I, I, I agree with the pick of, of, of that. Daniel Murphy, he is one of my I, – I, I love Daniel Murphy. He served me a drink at the Ike Davis event in 2012. And he was very nice, very cordial, uh, and and was it was a fantastic uh, human being, and also a fantastic hitter. I can't help, unfortunately, but all like Daniel Murphy, and, and again, going back to what you and I were talking about, Mike, earlier, he helps connect National League baseball eras. In that Mickey Owen in a game four made a an error, and Daniel Murphy 
and, and, you know, he had gotten so much better defensively by the time this play happened. There's no reason the play should have happened the way it happened. But it happened the way it happened. He should have gotten in front of the ball. Why he was going to the side made it look like he was throwing the game. And unfortunately, the last taste of Daniel Murphy will have is him blowing game four and then going to the Nationals and crushing us. So, yes, Daniel Murphy it should be included because he was a prolific hitter. And we always thought he could be like a Pete Rose type. The player he became with the Nationals was not what we thought he was going to be. Um, so I agree that Daniel Murphy is one of the most prolific second basemen of all time. But again, it's the Armando Benitez treatment in many ways, and even more so, weirdly enough, because of just that, that, that game four. Yes, if the Mets had won game one, that would have made a big difference. Same thing with the 2015 World Series, let's remember. You know, Jarrett's familiar quick pitch, he did it twice. It's, it's ridiculous. But, you know, game four is a crucial game in a seven-game series, a crucial game. Usually somebody, usually somebody, if it's an even series, is up two to one. So either it's tied 2-2 two to two, or the other team takes a commanding lead 3-1. to one. That's a major difference. Game four is arguably the most crucial game in, game seven, in, in a seven-game uh, series. And Daniel Murphy ruined it for us all. Doesn't matter what Lucas Duda did the next night. Doesn't matter what Matt Harvey had to do with it. Daniel Murphy could have helped other than Terry Collins bringing in uh, – Terry Collins probably lost that game and set it up for Daniel Murphy to lose his game. But Daniel Murphy, unfortunately, will always have that negativity when it comes to the Mets. And I could see him coming back when he's age 39. Rich, Alfonso was so good, wasn't he? Second base. Yeah, Edgardo Alfonso – you know, clearly had a, a good, albeit fairly short, run um, with the Mets you know, of, of greatness. But he, he clearly stood out. You know, he dominated that position for the longest period of time in Mets history. The only shame of Edgardo Alfonso is that um, it, I wish it could have been longer. Um, but clearly the best player at the position. Now, in terms of Murphy, you know, and I'll question this to Brian when, when, he, when he goes on this one, Murphy became the second baseman in, in 2012 and, you know, and had a, a fairly decent run. He missed an entire season. I don't have it in front of me, but what season did he miss? Was it 13 or 14? He missed an entire season. And then he had the obvious run in 15, you know, the amazing run up until the, the moments that we won't mention here. Um, so I'm interested in, in Murphy's time in second, at second base was, was very short. Um, highlighted by an absolute, you know, we all know what he did in the postseason um, in, in the uh, division series in the LCS. Um, so interesting on Murphy. I get it. I get it. Um, Felix Mion was there longer, um, didn't have as much of an impact as Murphy did in that short period of time. But Mion clearly um, was a very solid player for a longer period of time. And Ron Hunt, of course, was the first all-star. Uh, first elected all-star, I believe. And um, so 
uh, that's my question back to Brian, is Mion and Murphy, and I'm wondering how you got to Murphy because of the fact he was a second baseman for such a short period of time. And, um, and he had that obvious meteoric uh, couple of months, but other than that, you know, he did, he did miss an entire season and, and fairly short tenure. Brian? Yeah, so uh, Daniel Murphy, in fact, um, played, I think he played more games as a second baseman. In fact, the, the year he missed was 2010 when he was still kind of in flux as to whether it was an outfielder or a, you know, a first baseman. Um, so he played uh, 509 games as a Met uh, at second base. Mian played 674 games uh, as a second baseman. And Mian, in fact, um, probably would have had a longer and, and may have, you know, qualified for the team if not for an injury. Um, to answer the question by the, the guy on the street, he did not go to the Padres. He never played for the Padres. Actually, this an injury ended his career pretty much. Uh, it was a collision, I think, in a fight with uh, Ed Ott of the Pirates. Um, but that that really kind of that kind of uh, if that didn't happen, who knows? Maybe he would have made the team. Uh, but Mion, uh, as as good as the people uh, want to claim it to, that he was, and he was a good defensive player. Uh, his defensive WAR was only like you know like zero point four, um, and uh, he did have uh, was very good at the plate. Was just a good you know contact hitter. Uh, we all remember how he choked up at the plate um, and, you know, had the most hits in Mets history, I think, twice, uh, 73 and then 75. Uh, so Murphy got the edge. I mean, let's, not, let's, let's face it, the 2015 postseason really elevated him to the team. I think if that never happened, he'd be borderline. Um, but the 2015 postseason really put him over the top. Uh, he was also an all-star in 2014, uh, while primarily a second baseman. Um, and for the most part was a very solid hitter. I mean, not a power hitter, save for those couple weeks in October 2015. Um, but when he was healthy, he was, you know, averaging uh, about, you know, 30 doubles uh, a year. So he was kind of a guy that could be relied on at, at the plate. Uh, not The same did not go for in the field or uh, on the base pass. But um, that was a tough choice between Mian, uh, Murphy, uh, Backman, uh, and then the guys in the honorable mention, like a, a Ron Hunt or even like a Jeff Kent, who I didn't even put on there, who was better than I thought he was as a Met. At shortstop, if I may, Jose Reyes is a starter, Bud Harrelson is the reserve. And Brian, you say about Bud Harrelson, he never goes down without a fight. Man, you couldn't be more right. So, Sam, I'll let you start with shortstop. Uh, the honorable mention for shortstop is Ray Ordonez. Yeah. You can't deny Jose Reyes. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I was always impressed with how much more power he had than what you would expect. So I want to throw that out there about Jose Reyes. You know, the, the pop – you know, he was a 20-home-run hitter a lot of times. You know, that, that's, that's something more impressive than you would expect out of him because he was the speed guy. Usually home runs don't go with the speed guy. Um, it sucks that his legacy is a little tarnished. Um, and, unfortunately, he couldn't continue his 2016 uh, resurgence in his Mets career. Um, cause I, uh, you know, 
And I'm not saying that we need to wipe away what he did. But I think that we were more willing to understand it. Not understand it. I, I, I don't want to... I, I don't want people to think like I'm trying to excuse what he said, but what he did, excuse me. But like, I, I, I think that, you know, something about the night that it happened has to do with the Mets. If you look at the timeline of it, I mean, he was, he, like, going back to Daniel Murphy, um, he Instagrammed a picture of the game, game four, and then that night everything happened and i think there was this just weird thing that happened with his career that came together october 31st 1939 uh, sorry a homeless guy was asking me for money um uh october 31st 2015 i was trying to say um and I should go after him and give him money because I don't want to sound like an asshole on here. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just, I, I think he had this existential crisis. And the fact that his wife didn't press charges and he's still together with her, like I can't villainize him that much because I think there, there's a nuance that we're missing in this day and age that unfortunately has, you know, like, like, it's weird that had he been a better player in 2016 onward, people wouldn't be giving him as much shit. But because he also failed in his veteran presence, there, there's more of a, a magnifying element. Now, mind you, you know, Marcus Stroman uh, gave up his number for him, so there is that. There is the Mets trying to kind of emphasize how good Jose Reyes is, but it, it sucks. It sucks because we all know he's the best shortstop to ever live in a Mets uniform. And I, I, I just, I wish that he would figure this whole thing out. You know, he hasn't officially retired and, but nobody's going to take a chance on him because of the way it, it, it Everything went about it. I'll throw this out there too. As big of a as as big of a Jose Reyes fan as I have been in general, Robinson Cano, while he has while he has has not performed as well as Jose Reyes did at certain points, seems to be a better mentor towards um, towards Ahmed Rosario and. You know, it, it's like Ahmed Rosario blew up in the second half there. I mean, he absolutely blew up. Not to say that that's going to be what we see out of Ahmed Rosario, but imagine if that is what we see out of Ahmed Rosario from here on out. And it came on the heels of Robinson Cano coming to this team. So I understand how, why and how, Jose Reyes' legacy is tarnished, but it doesn't take away from how sad it is because it shouldn't be as much like when you see that name there, it shouldn't bring up all these 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 emotions. Rich. Well, when it comes to shortstop, 
You know, I agree. I mean, uh, Reyes on the field stuff only, clearly the best that the Mets have ever had. And Harrelson, clearly the reserve. Um, where I got emo- my emotional side kicked in on this one was with Ordonez because I was never a Ray Ordonez fan. Um, I know he won three gold gloves in a row, yes, um, and he was for those three seasons clearly an absolute defensive whiz. Um, he was never a good offensive player, uh, 1.2 career war, uh, 246 career batting average, um, so never a good offensive player, very much a one-dimensional player. And with Ordonez also, you know, he, he um, became uh, not in such great shape, you know, to, in, after the 2000 season, and he was criticized for that. Um, you know, he never really improved his offensive game. That's what I'm driving at. Um, in the 99 series against the Braves, he hit like 042. So what I'm saying is, you know, had a couple of good short – he had a short run as an excellent one-dimensional player. But here's the other side of the coin. I wanted so badly, Brian, to come up with a better choice, and I really couldn't. You know, the Mets have not had a history of great shortstops. You know, I was looking at guys like Santana, .5 war over his career. Yes, short time with the Mets. Uh, Kevin Elster. I looked into all these guys, and I don't know. I, my, I guess the only thing I would say is, can we go with just starter and reserve and not have Ordonez on there? He he just he just got my goat. I was just never a fan, and that's probably an emotional, irrational reaction. So that, that's what I have to say on shortstop. So Brian, on behalf of all the Frank Tavares fans out there, I thought about him. Shortstop. Uh, oh, for all those, yeah, for all the Frank Tavares fans, yeah. Um, I, I had no. This was about the easiest uh, position selection. Um, and, and Rich, as far as Ray Ardonia's, I mean, I had to put some honorable mention on there. So that's what Ray, my Ray Ardonia's went. Um, I agree. Great defensive player, but offensively, um, that kind of weighed his weighed his value down. Um, but yeah, so Reyes, the most exciting player in Mets history. Um, yeah, second most hits in Mets history. And then Bud Harrelson, who was really the glue to the infield in the late 60s uh, through the mid-70s. Um, and that was a, an area in which I wanted to highlight uh, how good he was defensively, and that's where I brought out some of the more sabermetric statistics, um, you know, like runs saved or what have you, um, that really, you know, uh, accentuate how important he was to the Mets, in addition to, you know, the quotes that, from, like, Tom Seaver, uh, who said how, how great he was. So um, those two. I have, you know, no qualms uh, once I, you know, made my list very early on in the writing process. Third base is one near and dear to my heart. Uh, Brian, you selected David Wright as the starter. Carl Johnson is a reserve, and Robin Ventura is a reserve. Uh, Wayne Garrett gets honorable honorable mention. Uh, I I need. QB Brooks uh, on on here somewhere, uh, and that would have to come at the expense of Hojo or Ventura. I'm torn which one comes off, but I know that QB Brooks needs to go on. So, Sam, why don't you pick up third base? I can't deny you your QB QB Brooks uh, emotion there. Um, I agree. I don't know who to take off either. It's a tough one. It's a tough one because you, you you have with Hojo, 
clearly an excellent uh, third baseman. And, and it's funny because um, my friend Owen that I'm, I'm currently hanging out with has a great Shea Stadium Hojo story that we will get to another time on this podcast. A little teaser for you all out there. Um, so I can't deny Hojo. Like, how can Hojo not be on this list? Um, but, you know, you, you, it, it, Hubie Brooks got you Gary Carter. There's a reason he got you Gary Carter. Um, so, uh, yeah, Mike, I, I don't think there's anything else to say from my element of it other than the Hubie Brooks element. I agree with you with that. I love Hubie Brooks. It sucks that you had to give them up for the Gary Carter trade, but they got a little series out of it. Rich? Yeah, I'm okay with this list. Um, you know, David Wright is one of those where logic meets emotion, and, you know, you, he should be the starter, and I don't think anybody would question that. Um, and looking at Hojo's numbers, you know, they're, they're so damn solid. You know, he became the, the starter. The, the position became his in 1987. And let's remember – he was platooning with Ray Knight before that. And you look at some of these numbers. You know, the 87 season, he had 36 home runs. Um, he Let's not forget, Hojo stole a lot of bases, too. So he had power, um, you know, 32 stolen bases in 87 to go with those 36 home runs. You know, fast forward to 89, another 36 home runs and 41 stolen bases. He had 287, which was his highest single-season average. So, and I know he struck out a lot, but the guy was a damn good player. Not a great defensive player, probably below average. I mean, Brian, maybe you looked at that in front of me. Maybe below average defensively, but certainly a hell of an offensive player. Um, and let's not forget what the New York Mets did to Hojo, which is they took him out of position. 1992, they tried to play him in center field. It's just the Mets thing. You know, the Mets love to play guys out of position. And that really was the beginning of the end for Hojo. <laughs> Um, I don't know why they do it. It's pathological, and I think they should be in therapy for it, but they do it anyway. And um, and it was the beginning of the end. You know, Hojo had a much – he was way down in 92 with only seven home runs, 223 average. 93, only seven home runs, 238. I'm not saying the position change did that, but when he was the starting third baseman from 87 through 91 – Damn, damn good numbers and uh, good choice there. Ventura, you know, we all think about one thing. We think about the Grand Slam single, um, all the, you know, the the Grand Slam home runs he had as a Met. You know, Ventura, very solid. I, I think this is kind of indisputable with what you have there, Brian. So, Brian, for all the Ray Knight and Lenny Randall fans out there, your final word on third base. Yeah, uh Huey Brooks was, yeah, I would uh, have no issue if I could sneak him on the honorable mention. I would certainly do that. I'd be worthy of just being of being mentioned at least, uh, in addition to uh, to Wayne Garrett. Um, you know, David Wright is is indisputable, and Howard Johnson, uh, Rich, as you pointed out, was not particularly great defensively. In fact, I'm looking at his baseball reference right now, and and obviously his factors in uh, third base and shortstop because he moved uh, around a little bit. Uh, but he was – I don't think he ever had a positive war season defensively. Nonetheless, his offensive numbers, as you pointed out, eight, in 87, that's his, for his breakout year when he was the starter, uh, when Ray Knight um, uh, was jettisoned. Um, 89, uh, another fantastic year, his first all-star season. And then 91, 
um, the third of his 30-30 seasons, and he led the league in home runs and RBIs. And it's interesting, Hojo kind of gets forgotten in terms of all-time numbers because a lot of his best years, or actually his his three best seasons, were kind of in years in which the Mets underachieved. Uh, You know, 87 missing the playoffs when they probably should have repeated, uh, 89 missing out again, being second place in the 91 that year, which they reached fold in the second half. So uh, you look at his final numbers and Howard Johnson is right up there. Uh, defensively, not not as great, but but his offense really uh, overcame that. And then uh, Ron Ventura, even though he only played three years, um, was so good defensively. And then in 99 had that monster offensive season uh, in which he – had a better war uh, than Mike Piazza that year, had more MVP votes than Mike Piazza. Um, you know, the Grand Slam single is memorable, uh, but he had so many other fantastic moments, not only that year, but also in the next, uh, in the, the run to the World Series in 2000. Uh, if not for injuries, he would have had a lot better seasons. But despite that, uh, felt I needed to put a good defensive third baseman um, on the team, so he made it. We've got a bunch of names to deal with in the outfield. Uh, that's why I'm going to pose these two questions to you, Brian, first. They involve the manager and the front office. You selected Gil Hodges as your manager for this all-star, all-time all-star team with Davey Johnson and Bobby Valentine as the coaches. Uh, you know, there's some omissions out there, so why don't you just explain your uh, thought process? Yeah, with all due respect to Davey Johnson, the winningest manager in Mets history, uh, I look at, you know, impact here, and I don't think uh, you can deny that the 1969 Mets uh, would not be the same team and would not be a championship team if not for Gil Hodges. Uh, as far as players are concerned, I think Tom Seaver uh, was the guy that turned around the Mets from being just a laughing stock into being a contender and then, of, of course, being a world champion. As far as the person that did that, it's definitely Gil Hodges. Um, and, you know, I, I can't really think of any person or manager specifically who had more influence in making a team success uh, or, you know, igniting a team success than Gil Hodges. Uh, it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to add on to that. Uh, his heart attack uh, right before the 72 season um, uh, that, that he ultimately succumbed to uh, kind of – you know, left uh, the Mets kind of with a, with a hole they had to fill, and Yogi Berra did fill that. Uh, but it would be – it's really – it would be interesting to, 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 to see, you know, if what Gil Hodges could do with the Mets in those subsequent seasons. Uh, but the fact that his impact was so great in the 69 team that I could not um, leave him off and not make him the manager of, of the all-time team. On behalf of the boys, I think we'd agree. Uh, I lied. I have three questions. Here comes number two. Uh, Frank Cashin, you selected him as your architect. And uh, in email and before the show, I had asked if Joe McDonald was honorable mention worthy. And you also threw out another name. Yeah, no, I think Joe McDonald is. I think probably more so would be Johnny Murphy. And we were just talking about 69. Uh, Although Gil Hodges had a hand in a lot of personnel decisions, uh, Johnny Murphy uh, had, had it as well as the general manager. Uh, and um, I thought he probably would be the honorable mention general manager behind Frank Cashin. Uh, it's too bad. Uh, again, another, you know, untimely passing. Uh, Johnny Murphy died just after the 69 World Series championship. 
Uh, so he wasn't able to kind of build on what he had done uh, with the 69 team. But he'd be the guy that I would put if I had a little bit of room to put it as an honorable mention general manager uh, with Joe McDonald uh, being just behind him. And question three, why do you suppose Gil Hodges nor Joan Payson are in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I It's hard to answer because, because I think they both should be. Uh, I think Gil Hodges, if you look at his playing career, we, we were talking about his managerial influence, uh, not just with the Mets, but also uh, in turn around the uh, Washington Senators uh, from being bottom feeders. Uh, but as a player, um, if you look at him compared with other players in his era, uh, was was right up there in all, with all numbers and uh, with also also uh, being a Gold Glover at first base. Um, you know, I can't I can't see it. I, I sad to say, I think passing in 1972 that's that's hurt his case. I mean, it wasn't not that he would do that, but he he wouldn't be able to speak for himself. Uh, my hope is that uh, with the 50th anniversary of the '69 championship. It um, kind of reignited the discussion of why isn't Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame, and hopefully that will carry over to when the vote comes. I think in 2021. Uh, I, you know, but I, I can't. Yeah, it's hard for me to make that uh, to, to answer that because I'm, I'm a person who feels like he's a shoe in. Uh, as far as Joan Payson, uh, I think her impact on baseball history, being the first ever uh, woman to own a team um, or purchase a team with her own finances. Uh, it's kind of overlooked, um, and it would be very. It would be fantastic to, to see her honored in the Hall of Fame in some way. Of course, the Mets have obviously honored her uh, by putting her in the inaugural class, and maybe the. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter uh, when I posted something on International Women's Day recognizing Joan Payson. Uh, someone suggested that Joan Payson's statue. Uh, there should be a Joan Payson statue just like coming out of the of the subway, greeting fans. Uh, to the game, and I, I, I concur with that. But at the same time, I feel like <laughs> we need to. The Mets have a lot of trouble building statues, as we all know. So um, that's probably asking a lot. But both feel hot. They obviously deserve more. There should be a 36-foot statue of Joan Payson outside City And uh, uh, Mike, may I take it? May I take it? Well, you know how I feel about that. First, let me put out one little warning to our listeners. The live portion of the show might cut off at 9.30, but you can still listen to the entire show at its conclusion. It'll be available to download, obviously. Uh, go ahead, Sam. Jump in wherever you were going to jump in, and then we're going to get to the outfielders and wrap this thing up. I think that the death of Gil Hodges is the number one thing that threw the Mets off of their trajectory, or whatever that trajectory may have been. I think they are still suffering from the death of Gil Hodges. And it's, it saddens me every single time I mention it. Every single time you think about the Mets, uh, you know, just the way the Lopons run it, it's the entire thing just, reverberates from the death of Gil Hodges. Gil Hodges should be in the Hall of Fame. So, outside of the fact that the offensive numbers, Mike, you and I were talking about this earlier today as well. He was... Say it again, Mike, please. Upon his retirement, no right-handed hitter in the National League had hit more home runs, amongst other things. His resume, let his, the, his, 
resume speaks for itself. But let us not digress, Mr. Sam. In fact, I'll let you start with the outfield. Our starting right fielder is Daryl Strawberry. Our reserve is Rusty Stubb. Pay attention. Our, center, our starting center fielder is Cleon Jones. Excuse me. Our starting left fielder is Cleon Jones. The reserve is Michael Conforto. The starting center fielder is Carlos Beltran. And we have two reserves, Mookie Wilson and Tommy Agee. I will list the honorable mentions shortly. But as far as the outfield, what say you, Sam? I know we're short on time, and I understand. Um, but I can't... Uh, I can't take away anything from that outcome. Carlos Beltran, regardless of anything that ha- has happened, you know, part of the thing about him being the manager was the fact that they were trying to shake the fact that his legacy was tarnished because of that called third strike. And he was the greatest center fielder of all time but we should recognize the fact that he was the greatest Mets center fielder of all time. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm still upset. Although I'm looking forward to Louis, Louis Rojas as manager. I think fate, I think, I think fate has led us to this and I, uh, I understand. And it sucks that he like, you know, from a Louis Rojas perspective, who are being selfish, has to wait till May to deal with all this. But um, I, I was looking forward to seeing Carlos Beltran as the manager and seeing what he could do as a manager. And now he may never get another managerial job. That sucks. That really, that, that really does suck. And I agree that, like, we need to be present with this entire thing, with this entire, uh, just, just outside of coronavirus, the sign-stealing thing. But I, I, I still think that, that Carlos Beltran eventually deserves a chance, and this shouldn't be a blacklist. Well, Brian, you know, I'm going to throw it right back to you. Uh, Carlos Beltran, it was one of your more delicately, delicately written narratives of the book. Uh, pick up on Carlos Beltran. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm one of those people, and I try to take my emotion out of it, but I'm one of the people that feel that the, those who can't get over the cold third strike uh, should get over it. Because um, of how important he was to that 2016, and and, and in general Mets history, um, you know, an interesting story. So I, when I was writing the book, I had written it out, of course, uh, before he was named manager. And as we were going through the final editing stages, where you could only make slight edits, he's named manager. So I wanted to make sure I included that, even though that's not part of his, you know, the 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 reason, you know, the selection process does not factor in the fact that he was manager. Um, I still wanted to mention it. And then, you know, January comes along and the, the book is about to go to print. And I can now, I was only able to make the change, um, you know, to, I guess, redo what I had previously done for the ebook version. So uh, could only, yeah. So I, 
if anyone gets the book, they'll get an alternate history of, of, of Carlos Beltran and see that, um, I guess I said he was name manager, which is technically still true. Uh, and he was the manager in 2020 for a little bit. Um, but uh, unfortunately I had to, had to, had, had to stay in there. So hopefully the readers will understand that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the cold third strike is what everyone remembers, but at the same time, they can't, you can't deny the fact that he, you know, had the most home runs in a season in 2006 at one time before that was broken by Pete Alonso uh, and just how good he was for, you know, what, six, seven years. Um, that to me was an easy selection. Uh, and then the other two positions uh, I thought were pretty easy as well, uh, as far as I was concerned, but yeah, Beltran is, is a tricky one. Uh, he's a polarizing figure figure who only got more polarizing as this, as the months, uh, the late the months came along. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as the player, he was a slam dunk. Rich, I know how you feel about Rusty Staub. I feel the same way. Uh, and I'll I will throw out the the honorable mention: Lee Mazzilli, Lenny Dykstra, Kevin McReynolds, Joanna Cespedes, and Dave Kingman. Uh, so again, just to recap from left. To right, we have Cleon Jones and Michael Conforto in center, Beltran, Mookie Wilson, and Ag, and in right, Strawman and Rusty. What say you? I'm good with all those, Mike. I, I really can't come up with any criticisms of the starters and the reserves. Um, when I look at, you know, and, and obviously we're, you know, we're splitting hairs, but when I look at the, the honorable mentions. You know, Lee Mazzilli, I completely agree with. You know, Lee Mazzilli was very important to the Mets in that time. Um, he was a good player on a, some very bad teams, and, you know, he, he gave the Mets at least some credibility, and he had some decent years. You know, and we all remember his, his performance in the 79 All-Star game, so good choice there. Kevin McReynolds, and let's not forget, Kevin McReynolds, great defense, power, speed, you know, in his first go-round with the Mets, not so much in the second go-round, but – um, on that 87 team, he was a, a very important part of it, uh, 88 team as well, so I have no problem with Kevin McReynolds. Uh, Dykstra, yeah, great. I mean, I'm a huge Lenny Dykstra fan, not in his current state, of course, but, um, but you know, I'm a big Lenny fan when he played for the Mets. Uh, I was very disappointed to see him traded. One could argue uh, Lenny and Mookie, you know, should Mookie be an honorable mention and, and Lenny be the reserve? Don't know about that. I'm okay with Mookie. I would have been okay if he did Dykstra. Um, but I'm a big Lenny fan. Um, then getting the Cespedes, interesting choice. He had, you know, a huge impact in um, in the second half of the 15 season and most of the 16 season when he wasn't hurt. So very short tenure, but kind of like a bottle rocket. You know, went up really high, really fast. So I, I kind of get it. They, they wouldn't have probably done what they did in, in uh, 15 without him. Um, Kingman, I am not a fan. I mean, I, I was always the person who could not and Dave Kingman. Um, players like that, just, just I, I, I have no use for them. You know, guys who can't play defense, you know, strike out or home run, I, I just thought he was kind of an abomination as a player, and he was also a very surly person. Um, so, look, I know I get he did some great things. Or I should say he did some interesting things as a Met. Um, in 82, he had his 37 home runs, which led the league. Um, and before he got hurt in 75, he was on his way to maybe leaving like in home runs there, and I, I understand that. 
But the guy, I mean, you know, the guy's career batting average is just, you know, kind of embarrassing at 236. And um, his strikeouts, I'm looking here on uh, baseball reference, where they highlight in black when, when someone led the league in something. And he has a lot of black in the strikeout column. So I was never a Dave Kingman fan. I, I might have slotted someone else in there. Um, I don't really have a name off the top of my head, but I know that um, I, I might have thought about some other players instead of Kingman. But, again, we're splitting hairs talking about your last honorable mention. So those are my comments. So, Brian, this is where I have my fun. On behalf of the Joel Youngblood, Ron Svoboda, Odell Washington, Curtis Grandison, Cliff Floyd, Tommy Davis, Lance Johnson, and Frank Thomas fans of the universe, did you struggle a little bit with some of the honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, specifically with um, honorable mention and reserve. The, the, most, the toughest decision I had uh, in this process uh, next to the pitchers was left field reserve with Conforto and McReynolds. Um, uh, I will say that when I wrote the first draft, I had Kevin McReynolds as the backup left fielder. And then as the season went along and the season ended and I saw Michael Conforto's season and realized he probably is going to be still on this team. I switched. Uh, that was a tough one. I, you know, I, I even thought like, could I have just added, Michael Conforto and Kevin McReynolds also on the roster. Um, so that was that was the, the biggest struggle. And, in fact, I still think about it. <laughs> it doesn't keep me up at night, but I do think about it. Um, and But I still feel pretty good about putting Conforto in there. I think uh, when you look at, like, his OPS plus, um, say what you will, that he's not particularly consistent. I will agree with that. Uh, but uh, his OPS plus uh, is better than McReynolds, I'm pretty sure, and um, he will you know, surpass McReynolds in home runs uh, very soon and has had you know, three straight uh, years of over uh, 25 home runs, uh, you know, most recently with 33. So uh, that's, why I, that's what pushed him over the top uh, in place of McReynolds. And uh, as far as the honorable mention, I mean uh, – Dykstra, I think, got hurt by the fact that he didn't have enough playing time and the fact that he was traded in that infamous uh, Dykstra and uh, McDowell for Juan Samuel deal. Um, That's what kept him off the team despite all those great postseason moments in 86. Um, The only honorable mention, the only person I probably would have added to honorable mention, and this is, again, just a personal, you know, my emotions coming in, is Curtis Granderson, uh, just for the fact that I just, love him and admire him as a person uh, and also as a player. I would have loved to throw him in there, um, but he, you know, I don't, I don't think he was going to make the, the lineup. And Cespedes is interesting and the, the perfect uh, term you used, Rich, was bottle rocket. I mean, I think when he's healthy, and that's a big if, um, he's fantastic and a, an asset to the current Mets. And I think this year, if he plays uh, you know, 70% of the games, I think that's a huge boost for the lineup. Um, but, yeah, I, I was not going to put him on the team for a few great years, as as great as they were. Uh, that was not enough to put him on there. But other than that, I was pretty comfortable with what I had with the, with regards to both the starters, reserved and, reserves, and the honorable mention. And that's a wrap. That was Brian Wright. The book is New York Mets All-Time All-Stars. The best players at each position for the Amazons. Brian, thank you so very much for your time. Uh, that was a hell of a conversation. Thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> hey, uh, yeah, Mike, Rich, Sam, thank you so much as well. This was great. We have one more segment we like to call our final word. It's whatever's on your mind. Uh, I'll let Rich start us off. This way you can get, get an idea of what we do. Rich? Uh, well, it transcends baseball health. Everybody try to stay healthy out there. Do what you're told to do. You know, I'm seeing here on the news that um, a 14-day total shutdown of everything might be a coming where, you know, you're asked not to go to restaurants, bars, church, anything like that. Just, folks, do what you're asked to do. We have to um, flatten the curve, as they say. So it's bigger than baseball. It's bigger than sports. It, it's it's life of, our, of ours. It's those of uh, people in compromised categories. So just, just everybody do what you have to do to stay healthy. Sam, your final words. Maybe I can't repeat what Rich just said because he nailed it. But from Messian's standpoint, maybe this entire thing is a blessing in disguise when it comes to Johannes Cestus. All this talk about Johannes Cestus. He's one of my favorite baseball players of all time. He's one, he hit a two-run home run to begin the game that was the Bartolo Colon game I mentioned earlier in this podcast. So I want more, and we talked about him in the outfield, I want more from Johannes Cestus outside of how healthy we need to start. Maybe this bodes well for the, the, the bore of the Mets franchise. And yes, pun intended. I want more of Johannes Cespedes. I love Johannes Cespedes as an outfielder. I love Johannes Cespedes on the Mets. And I don't want the Johannes Cespedes era to wrap up as quickly. So that's my final word. Uh, I would only add, you know, when people, you go to the stores, try to leave something for the next person. Uh, let's try to all get through this together. So, Brian, you know, Remind us of everything that you do, where you do it, where we can find you on Twitter, etc., etc. And, uh, sir, your final word. Yeah, well, I can't uh, argue with both uh, Rich and Sam said. Uh, I think if uh, what's going on right now is definitely bigger than sports, and if we all heed to the words of the experts, uh, the sooner we do it, the sooner uh, this will pass and we'll return to normalcy. Uh, and that normalcy includes Mets baseball, which I can't wait for. Um, as far as uh, interacting with me, you can follow me at BrianWright86 uh, on Twitter. And uh, if anyone's interested in a signed copy of New York Mets All-Time All-Stars, uh, you can just send me a direct message. I'm happy to provide one, um, you know, with, for $25, including shipping, of course. Uh, but, yeah, I will post uh, regularly just <laughs> Mets Mets history, um, my general Mets thoughts, uh, whatever comes to mind as I'm trying, as I'm coping without sports, and I know we all are together. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and also I'll be uh, writing for Metsmerized Online as well, uh, contributing historical pieces, so you can find me there as well. That said, I bid everyone health and safety out there. Uh, Brian Wright, thank you once again for your time. Uh, great book. Enjoyed reading immensely. Uh, like I say, 
earlier. Uh, it took me places, you know, and, and that's always fun. So, Sam, wind us down, take us home the only way we know how around here. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been fantastic to go through Mets history. It it sucks everything that's going on right now, and I hope to talk to you more about Mets history when people are not quarantined tuning in. But the only way to take us out after that, as Mike was alluding to, let's go Mets. Let's, let's go. go Mets. Let's, let's go Mets. All right, guys. Thank you so much. That Thanks, Brian. The Mets Team Podcast. Good night, all. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.